before I pray, uh, just a comment I want to make, but um, I'm not going to, I'm going to be nebulous in my comment. And it is that uh, our God is faithful. I did uh, pray for something specific for our Lord's feast. And he did exactly the way I prayed it. And in talking with uh, about, I've talked with about three people, and uh, two of them said something to me that clearly indicated that God was moving their minds. And that was my prayer. And he moved the minds of people. And uh, I won't go into the detail, but if you're interested, call me, I'll let you tell you what it is. But he did exactly how I prayed it. Let's pray. A most eternal and everlasting Father, King of kings, Lord of lords, awesome God, majestic in all your ways, our minds cannot fathom the depth of your love for us, nor can we comprehend your power, your patience with us. In every way, we can only say, may all glory, honor, dominion, and power belong to you, for you deserve them. Ours is just continuous wonderment of what a good God that you are. So we have gathered this evening to study a portion of your word. We realize that the human mind is incapable of focusing. So we pray that God the Holy Spirit will help us to understand what we hear this evening. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen. We move to Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14, read as follows. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptian you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now the preceding section of Exodus 14 verses 10 through 12 is concerned with Israel's fear because of the advancing Egyptian army. In their fear, they blamed Moses for freeing them from slavery. But our present section is concerned with Moses' response to the people's reaction to the sight of the Egyptian army in hot pursuit. Thus, what is given in this section is sequential to the panic of the Israelites, but contrasts their response to that of Moses, who is their leader. It is because the section conveys contrasting response Expected of the Israelites to the one they displayed in the previous section, that verse 13 begins with a Hebrew particle that is not translated in some of our English versions, but translated and or both in other versions. Now truly, the event of this section we are about to consider is to be recognized as sequentially following the event of the preceding section, although the two events are contrasted to each other. Thus, while it is probably better to begin verse 13 with the conjunction but, we should recognize that the Hebrew particle also implies that what follows is sequential to what preceded it. So verse 13 begins with Moses' response to Israel's complaint against him. As conveyed in the sentence, Moses answered the people, or literally, Moses said to the people. Now the word answered of the NIV is translated from a, a Hebrew word that basically is used for communication 
and declaration between human beings and between humans and God, or God to humans. So it has the basic meaning of to say or to utter. Now, although the word uh, may mean to say, but when used in response to a question, it means to answer, as it is used in providing the response of, uh, to the question of the angel of the Lord to Hagar when she was running away from her mistress, Sarah, as we mentioned in Genesis chapter 16, verse 8. Genesis chapter 16, verse 8. It is, and he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah. She answered. So, uh, Hebrew word is translated here, answer. Now the word of men means to command when it is used of one with authority in certain situations as was the case with King Xerxes when he commanded for his queen Vashta to be brought to him as recorded in Esther chapter 1 verse 17. Esther, chapter 1, verse 17. Now, we have uh, studied this book. Uh, it's been a long time, but we studied verse by verse. Although, as we commented, the name God is never used in the book of Esther, but it is unquestionable that everything there was orchestrated by God, even though his name never, was never mentioned. So, here is one of those that he uh, brought about in order to put Esther to where she can become an instrument to be used to deliver the Hebrew people. It is for the queen's conduct will become known to all the women and so they will despise their husbands and say King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him but she will not come. Now in our passage of Exodus 14 verse 13 the meaning is primarily to answer because of the series of the questions the Israelites described in our verse here though with the phrase the people. The series of questions that they posed to Moses in the preceding section. However, there's also the sense of commanding involved since Moses was their spiritual the spiritual leader of Israel, and so he had authority to command them not to act in a certain way. Now be that as it may, as we have indicated, this section contrasts the response of the Israelite to that of Moses as their spiritual leader. Now the Israelites panicked and complained regarding the advancing army and so blamed Moses for what they perceived as impending doom on them. But Moses was calm, since he was sure of what God said to him regarding the freeing of the Israelites from Egypt and bringing them to the promised land. Now a leader must show calmness in crisis, if he will provide the right kind and believable leadership to those under his leadership. Now, because Moses was calm, he tried to calm down the Israelites, their fear of being slaughtered by the Egyptian army. He did that through a series of commands and justifications that revealed that a spiritual leader should be the one to guide those he leads in time of crisis by focusing their attention to God and not to whatever the present crisis happened to be, to focus them on God. Now, based 
on Moses' response to Israel's fear. We derive then the message we believe the Holy Spirit wants us to deliver to you as to how you should react in time of crisis or when you are afraid because of events that you think are threatening to your life or to your well-being. Now the message then is this. Calm yourself or calm your fear by claiming God's promise and justifying it through the scripture. Calm your fear by claiming a promise and justify that promise you claim through the scripture. Now we will expand on this message by considering three instructions Moses gave the Israelites in the passage we are about to study. Now I want to emphasize that all we are saying is in time of crisis you should calm your fear by claiming a promise and be ready to justify that promise from the scripture as well. So based on this we are looking at the three instructions that are given by Moses in orderly fashion implying that the third instruction will not take place without obedience to the first. Therefore, we will follow the sequence of the instruction of Moses as stating the other believers should follow when they are in crisis that threaten their well-being. A fasting, a believer, who faces a situation that threatens the person's well-being is to claim them what I describe as a command promise. A command promise. What is that, you said? Well, the kind of uh, promise I'm talking, of course, will be one that is concerned with not being afraid. So, by a command promise, we mean a command in the scripture to which a promise is attached. In effect, a command promise is one that tells a believer not to be afraid, but gives also a promise that should enable the, the, the believer to calm down the individual's fear. Now this, we say, because of the first instruction of Moses to the Israelites in Exodus, where we study 14 verse 13, he said, do not be afraid. So the command promise we're talking about is that promise that has to do with coming down your fear. It, there's a promise. There's plenty of them in the scripture. You go one of them, but it must be one that says don't be afraid or do not fear. Then there's a promise. Something is attached to it. Anyway, here you say, do not be afraid. The word be afraid is translated from a Hebrew word that may be used either positively or negatively. Now, positively, it may mean to revere, that is to show profound respect for someone, as it is used to describe part of the lost elevation of Joshua as Israel's leader following the death of Moses, as described in Joshua chapter 4, verse 14. Joshua chapter 4, verse 14. Joshua chapter 4 verse 14 reads, That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered, that's a Hebrew word, Yahweh. They revered him all the days of his life, just as they had revered Moses. In other words, they had a profound respect for Joshua, as they did for Moses. Now, negatively, the Hebrew word may refer to being in a state of feeling of great distress and deep concern of pain or 
unfavorable circumstance and so may mean to be afraid as the word is used in in the coming instruction of prophet Elijah to the Zarephath woman or widow that the Lord used to sustain him during the famine uh, what he told the woman to do as we read in 1 Kings chapter 17 verse 13 now this is a situation where the widow had a small flour left and a little oil and was just gathering wood to go and make the last meal day for her and the, dad, uh, the son to eat and die that's what it was and here comes his prophet and say, no you go make me first go and make one for me first and you know uh, from whom I'm pursuing, you say man what are you talking about as the woman did explain but uh, Here's what Elijah said anyway. Elijah has uh, read verse 13 says, Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. Now, although he tells him the other, the Lord says it's not going to, you're not going to be without. But the mere fact that the woman said, I had just enough for, what, or for uh, herself and the son. And Elijah says, You go make one first for me, they go back and make one for you and your and son. I mean, that's a lot of faith on the part of the woman, and uh, of course, she did what the prophet said. Now, the word means to fear, though. Also fear either in the positive or a negative sense. For example, it is in a negative sense of response of a person to unpleasant event of violence or war that the word is used to describe what will happen to the people of Israel for idolatry as we read in Jeremiah chapter 42 verse 16. Jeremiah chapter 42 verse 16 Jeremiah 42 verse 16 reads Then the sword you fear will overtake you there and the famine you dread will follow you into Egypt and there you will die So here it's used in a negative sense now, in a positive sense, fear has a sense of the worship, the worship, as it is used to describe those who worship God based on human rules or traditions in Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13. Isaiah 29 verse 13. He reads, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. See that word worship there is really their fear. It's not, uh, this, it's not the word worship per se, it's their fear of me. Now, but it means in the context, worship. Now, it is also in this positive sense that the word is used in God's demand or expectation from Israel in Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 7. Zephaniah Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 7. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 7 reads, 
I said to the city, Surely you will fear me. That's in a positive way. And I accept correction. Then her dwelling will not be cut off. Now all my punishments come upon her. They, they were still eager to act corruptly in all they did. Now in our passage of Exodus chapter 14 verse 13, the word is used in the negative sense of being in a state of feeling great distress and deep concern of pain or unfavorable circumstance. So really, it means to fear, to be afraid, or to be scared. To be scared. So the instruction, do not be afraid, means that Moses expects the Israelites to rid themselves of the state of feeling great distress and deep concern that the Egyptians will kill them. Of course, when you face whatever that causes you fear, or causes you to fear for, uh, for you and whatever it is that you are facing, well, you should apply the message of this passage that we are considering, which again is this, calm yourself or calm your fear by claiming God's promise and justifying it through the scripture. So as we have stated then, the first thing you should do when you face a situation that threatens your well-being is to claim a command promise that tells you not to be afraid. That's the first thing you do. That as a believer, you must Come to that as soon as you hit something, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is, instead of panicking, your first step will be to reach out and draw a promise, a command promise. Now, there are many passages in the scripture where believers are commanded not to be afraid based on a specific reason or reasons. And that makes such uh, a command or promise what I call them command promise, as we have described the time. See, the Lord instructs Abraham not to be afraid in Genesis 15, verse 1. Genesis chapter 15. Verse 1. This is a command promise. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid. That's a, that's a command. Now here is the promise. He said, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. Your very great reward. So the reason the Lord supplied to Abraham for the command not to be afraid is because he is Abraham's protector. As that is what is meant in the sentence, I am your shield. Now the sentence is not merely a reason for the command, but a promise of the Lord to Abraham. So really that the passage of Genesis 15 verse 1 is an example of a command promise. Now when Israel was entering Canaan, facing enormous challenge of fighting the original descendants or inhabitants of the land. The Lord commanded them not to be afraid with several reasons that are really promises. He commanded them not to be afraid of their enemies because he will fight for them as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 22. Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 22 and hold on to Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 22 reads 
Do not be afraid of them. That's a command. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. That's a promise. So that makes it a command promise. See the sentence, the Lord your God himself will fight for you, is really a reason that is also a promise that justifies the command not to be afraid. The Lord through Moses commanded Israel not to be afraid of their enemies because of his continued presence with them in a very practical manner. As we read in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6. It is be strong and courageous. And look at it, that command. It says, do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. See the clause, for the Lord your God goes with you, conveys not only the continued presence of God with Israel, but of his leadership and help as Israel fights against its enemies. The Lord, of course, assured Israel that he will never fail to help help them in their uh, fight, since he promised not to abandon them. Again, we have here, though, an example of command promise. Because he commanded them, don't be afraid. But then he said, I will never leave you. So that's a command promise. So God's continued presence and help are usually reasons believers should not be afraid. Now you can claim the same promise. Even though you're not going to war in Canaan, but the principle is the same thing. You are his. Whatever you are facing, that's your battle. And God says, don't be afraid. But then he said, I will never leave you. So that is a promise that you can also claim. Now this, so it is the fact that his continuous presence and help are usually reasons that you should not be afraid. Now this we can also demonstrate from various passages. The Lord commands Israel severally through prophet Isaiah not to be afraid because of his assured presence and help. Those we read Two passages in Isaiah. Isaiah 41 verse 10. Now what we are studying. And what we are focusing on means. That you have to force yourself. You can't be sloppy about it. You have to force yourself to commit some of these promises into your mind. That doesn't always mean that you have to have the exact wordings, but you commit the summary in your mind so that in the time of crisis, that should come up. The Holy Spirit will help you. But you've got to, as I always say, you've got to have, give the Holy Spirit what to fight with. And as I say, you know, I use simple illustration, if something like I say, yes, yeah, a snake. You look around, you don't have anything to kill it, you just look. What are you going to do? Something. The Holy Spirit says, Oh, yes, no problem. He looks around to see whether you have provided a weapon for him to use. Not that he couldn't do it that way, but because he has commanded us that we should arm ourselves. So he looks for that. If he doesn't see, you are your own. So this is why we need to commit promises 
to our mind. Commit them. Memorize them. Don't have to be, like I say, don't always have to be exact. But you know, give the gist to your mind. Of course, it's, it doesn't hurt to be exact. But my point is, because we have seen a quotation from the scripture, doesn't always have to be exact, but the, there has to be the general tune of the passage. Anyway, so Isaiah 41 verse 10 reads, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. See the command? Do not fear. That's be the promise. I will be with you. I will strengthen you. I'm your God. Drop to verse 14. Same Isaiah 41, look at verse 14. It is, do not be afraid, O warm Jacob, O little Israel, for I myself will help you. That's a promise. God says, you and me, don't fear, don't be afraid, I'm going to help you. Yeah, no. Sounds good right now when you're hearing it. But once you get into battlefield, it's a different story. But if you make it a part of your practice to think scripturally, then it becomes almost like a habit. As soon as that crisis hits, the first thing that goes in your mind is a promise. You have to practice it. It doesn't come overnight. That's part of training your mind ready for battle. So he says, do not be afraid, O one checker, O little Israel, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Now, so these two projects then contain both commands, not to be afraid, and promise associated with the commands. And so we have then examples of command promise. It's for this reason that God will help the believer in time of trouble that is used by the Lord to encourage Apostle Paul to keep preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in a a very hostile environment as we recorded in Acts chapter 18 verses 9 and 10. Acts chapter 18 verses 9 and 10. It is one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Here's a promise. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. So we have given you then. Examples of the Lord uh, commanding his people. Not to be afraid. Because of reasons he gives in each context. And so these passages are examples of the concept of command promise that we introduced at the beginning of our consideration of the first instruction of Moses to Israel. Now we'll say more in Exodus 14 verse 14 about the reason Israel under Moses' leadership should not be afraid. Anyway, the first thing then a believer who faces a situation that threatens the person's well-being. The first thing to do is to claim a command promise that is concerned with not being afraid. I mean, a good one that you can commit to your mind is this Isaiah 41 verse 10 that we have read. It would be a good one to put in your mind. 
commit to your memory so that you get panicky situation. Instead of panicking, you go back and say, well, the Lord told me not to be afraid because. And you go through what is stated here in Isaiah uh, 41 verse 10. So, this, once you do that, once you have claimed a command promise, then that should be followed by a second thing. In other words, the first thing is, here's a crisis. Here's something threatening your life. You reach out for a promise, a command promise. And once you hold that, you go to the second step. And remember, it's not, when I say step, it doesn't mean this is, you know, one, two, three. No, these things are happening fast in your mind. That's the way you should approach it. It's not say, okay, I've done the first one, now I'm going to do, no, no, no. All this should be part of you that you, you once you do this, the next one comes automatic. So the second thing then, a believer who faces a situation that threatens the person's well-being following the claim of command promise is to fully trust the Lord to deliver the believer from whatever it is that threatens the person's well-being. Faith says, I believe he's going to deliver me. Now, if it's your time to get out of this planet, he will not deliver you. But then, you see him face to face. What does, what does it matter? But you have to have that faith. You can doubt it. You have to say, I believe he's going to deliver me. And in the end, he doesn't take you home. You're better off anyway. So that's the point. But once you have that promise then you have to go to the second thing, you trust him. Now this is what the psalmist really says, that we read some time ago, and I bring it back in Psalm 46, uh, 56, verse 3. Psalm 56, verse 3. Psalm 56, verse 3. It reads, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. That's the second step. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. So at the point of exercising trust in the Lord, it will be helpful for the believer to think of past deliverances of God to help calm the believer's fear. Not depending on what the situation is, that he, it's something that you have a long time to kind of mull over it, yes. Then I, at that point you need to think about how he has delivered you in the past. Now we say this because that was what the Lord expected Israel to do to calm their fears as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 18. Deuteronomy Chapter 7, verse 18. It reads, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 18 reads, But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. See, the, the Lord expected Israel to remember his past deliverances to help them have confidence or trust of his future deliverance. Thus it is important that we look back to past deliverances of the Lord to assure us of his future deliverances. Now this looking back to God's deliverances assumes that the believer has been conscious of the Lord's uh, deliverances that come in different ways. There is no believer that does not have this experience. But the problem is that if a person does not have the right kind of spiritual relationship with the Lord, the person may not be aware of God's deliverances in the person's life. 
You just say, oh, okay, it just happened. And some, they chuck it, that just happened. No, it just didn't happen. God delivered you. And we say, oh, you know, we all come up with all this kind of statement, but I say, well, you know, out of the blue. What is that blue? It didn't come from the blue. God did it. And his name is not called blue. Either. God did it. So nonetheless, the point remains that every believer has experienced at least one event of God's deliverance in a situation that threatens one's well-being. So it is our assertion that the second thing a believer who faces a situation that threatens the person's well-being following the claiming of a command promise is to fully trust the Lord to deliver the believer from whatever it is that threatens the person's well-being. Now this assertion is of course based on the next two instructions of Moses to Israel as given in Exodus chapter 14 verse 13 that we're studying. Look at what it says. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord will bring you today. Now the sentence consists of second and third instructions of Moses to Israel that are intended to calm their fears. The second and the third instructions are related to the concept of fully trusting the Lord. See, the second command is stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. That is, because that's the first, it's a stand firm. Well, have you wondered what it is that Moses commanded Israel? I mean, have you questioned what it really means to stand firm or to stand still as you find in some English versions in this instruction of Moses to Israel. Now many of us have certainly claimed the promise of this passage or have quoted this passage as a means of encouragement to a fellow believer facing situations that threaten their well-being, but what is it really that you are claiming? Or what is it that you are encouraging a fellow believer to do when you cite this command? Stand firm. Stand firm. So, really what I'm saying is, what does it really mean for you to stand firm or to stand still? Now, by the way, it already depends on the English version that you are using, since our English versions translate this instruction from the Hebrew differently. For example, the today's English version reads this way Stand your ground. That's the way they translate it. Stand your ground. The contemporary English version reads Be brave. Be brave. So these various translations notwithstanding will try to help you understand what it means to stand firm when your well-being is being threatened. We do so by examining the range of the meanings of the Hebrew word used in Exodus 14 verse 13. Now the expression stand firm is translated from a Hebrew word that means to take one stand. Now, this taking of stand can be in a military sense, where one takes stand to fight, as it is used to describe Goliath as one who poised to strike the Israelites, as we read in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 16. For Samuel. Chapter 17, verse 16. It is, For forty days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand 
That's for military conflict. Now the word may be used though, to convey standing quietly and passively to watch the deliverance God will provide as it is used in uh, the instruction of prophet uh, Jehaziel to encourage King Jehoshaphat and the inhabitants of Judah regarding military threats that face them as recorded in Second Chronicles chapter 20 verse 17. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 verse 17. And actually once you open that uh, you just hold it because I'm going to read uh, several verses from that chapter. Second Chronicles chapter 20 verse 17 reads You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Now it is interesting though to know that although the king was told to stand firm, he still took some actions. Now he went to the war front where to, where to confront Judah's enemy as we read still in Chronicles 20. Look at verse 20. Chronicles 20 verse 20 reads, Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me. Judah and people of Jerusalem have faith in the Lord, your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. Now in addition, he exercised faith in the use of singers to praise God. Leading to God acting on behalf of his people, as implied still where we're looking at the Second Chronicles uh, chapter twenty, look at verses twenty one and twenty two. Verse twenty one reads after con- uh, consulting the people, Jehoshaphat uh, appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Marseille, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. And so, that aside, the, word, the Hebrew word may mean to confront as it is used in the instruction of the Lord to Moses to meet Pharaoh on his way to take a bath in the Nile to deliver God's message to him before the plague of the flies commenced in Exodus chapter 8 verse 20. Exodus chapter 8 verse 20 reads Then the Lord said to Moses Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the water and say to him This is what the Lord says Let my people go so that they may worship me Now the instruction confront Pharaoh of the NIV is literally stand before Pharaoh However to stand before Pharaoh is better understood to mean to confront him. Now the Hebrew word may have the meaning of to present oneself before another. As in angels and Satan presenting themselves before God as reported in Job 
chapter 1 verse 6. Job Job chapter 1 verse 6. It is one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. Now the meaning of presenting oneself or situation or really in this case stationing oneself in a location could be really in an anticipation of what God would do as was with prophet Malachi. I mean prophet Habakkuk, sorry, in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1. Habakkuk or Habakkuk Chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1 reads, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramps, on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Now the Hebrew word may mean to commit as it is used to describe the stand of the wicked in Psalm 36 verse 4. Psalm 36 verse 4. Psalm 36 verse 4 reads, Even on his bed he plots evil. He commits himself to a sinful cause and does not reject what is wrong. So the sentence he commits himself to a sinful cause is literally he takes his stand on a way not good. That means to commit oneself to a conduct that is sinful. Now in our passage of Exodus 14 verse 13 it is in the sense of to resist or or uh, conceived of as standing firm. It is in that sense that the word is used, although uh, many take the word to really mean standing quietly and passively to watch the deliverances God will provide. Now it is really our uh, contention that the word translated stand firm in the NIV of Exodus 14 verse Thirteen uh, is more communicative if we understand the word as to resist, to resist, considering the range of meanings associated with the word. See, the sense to resist enables us then to recognize what it means to stand firm in the face of that which strengthens the well-being of the believer. Now, recall that the Israelites were frightened by the sight of the Egyptian army marching towards them. Hence, the command of Moses to them not to be afraid. Now, the problem of Israel was fear, or troubled mind, or anxiety. But what Moses tells them is that they must resist that fear of the approaching Egyptian army. Now, fear, we know, paralyzes a person and so destroys any trust in the Lord. Thus Moses is telling Israel that they must fully trust the Lord. The way they will prove that they have done so is by resisting fear. In effect, if we must fully trust the Lord and His promises, then we must confront the fear or resist Whatever that is causing us to become afraid. So, Moses tells Israel to resist that tendency of fear that destroys faith or trust in the Lord. Now, fear fear troubles the soul and makes it impossible to exercise faith in the Lord. 
Now this truth is also conveyed in the instruction of the Lord Jesus to his disciples before he went to the cross as we read in John chapter 14 verse 1. John John chapter 14 verse 1 reads Do not let your hearts be troubled Trust in God Trust also in me A troubled person May be one that is filled with anxiety Because of fear of the unknown Therefore The Lord Jesus commands his disciples To resist the urge Of being filled with anxiety Or fear for the unknown And to replace it with trust now this is precisely what Moses communicated to Israel. They were to replace their fear with trust in the Lord. So as we have stated, this will happen once they resisted their fears or stood up against their fears of the advancing Egyptian army because they trust the Lord to deliver them. So in any event, we have been discussing, or what we have been discussing is that when you claim or apply to a fellow believer, the command stand firm. That what that means is that you should resist fear of any kind that results from the situation that threatens your well-being. Now the way you resist fear is to replace it with faith or trust the Lord. In other words, you should recognize that the enemy of faith is fear, and so resist every attempt of Satan to cause you to focus on the problem instead of the Lord who can deal with your problem. You should focus on God's power. In other words, think of such promise that indicates that the Lord can deal with most difficult situations of your life by remembering what is said of the Lord's power, say in Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 17. Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 17 Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 17 reads Ah, sovereign Lord You have made the heavens and the earth By your great power And art stretched and Nothing is too hard for you Now since nothing is too hard for the Lord You must have full confidence in him to handle the situation that is threatening your well-being. In addition to recognizing that the Lord has the power uh, to do whatever he wishes in conformity with his character, you should also recognize that the Lord cares about you as declared in Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. Nahum Nahum chapter 1 verse 7 Nahum chapter 1 verse 7 says The Lord is good A refuge in times of trouble He cares for those who trust in Him So I'm then With these two facts Of God's power and care for you You should trust Him fully Despite whatever Has the tendency to cause you to fear because of what threatens your well-being. Now you may take action that proves your faith as Jehoshaphat did. When you do, in the sense that you resist fear and replace it with faith, with a determination not to panic, then you have obeyed the command of the Lord to Israel through Moses in the expression of Exodus 14 verse 13 where it says stand firm so with our exposition of the command I trust then that now you should understand or gain added insight to what this command entails when it says stand firm stand firm so anyway the second command that is concerned with Israel's fully trusting the Lord is to resist fear of what threatened 
their well-being and replacing it with complete or full trust in the Lord's ability to do the impossible. And you must do the same when you face your situations, whatever they happen to be. Remember, He has the power. Remember, He cares about you. When you you command those two, you should walk on the air, as I said, with your you know, head well stretched out and walk in full confidence knowing he's not going to leave you nor forsake you. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God the Holy Spirit will challenge us to know how to claim your promise, what you've made promise to us, and how to combine this with faith in whatever we face, to know that you care and that you have power to solve our problems. This is a request in Christ's name. Amen.